You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com, the largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton and Alex Barallo. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Norton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in, as always. Much appreciated. Um, exciting show tonight. I'm, I'm really pumped about this one. We've uh, been trying to put this one together for a little while. We started last night. More, more blog talk issues. We, uh, we only did about 15 minutes, though, so we didn't lose too much. Going to give it a shot again tonight. Tonight we're having Paul Alexander. Is going to be our guest. He's a former offensive line coach, spent 23 years with the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, did a year with the Jets, did a year or two with the Cowboys, has since retired, but still does a little bit of consulting stuff, still works with prospects, talks to teams. And uh, he's a guy who's described by Sports Illustrated just, what, four or five years ago. Uh, was on the cover of Sports Illustrated as sort of their, their, their dream team of coaches. Uh, he's been featured in, in several magazines as, as one of the top guys in his profession. And he did it for 20-plus years. And the reason we wanted to have Paul on is because let's face it, this is this is the number one pressing thing for the Jets this offseason, or in this upcoming draft, is the offensive line. I know some people say receiver, which of course you know they do have to address receiver position, but this 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 has to be about you know building this wall for Sam Darnold. And I actually <laughs> sent out a tweet earlier today. So I, I sent out a tweet, kind of dripping with sarcasm. Saying that uh, I, I was, you know, if you listen to the show, you know that I've said many times before that the the need for a, a stud a stud receiver can be somewhat overblown at times. And uh, I just thought that a tweet, just joking around, naming a bunch of guys, you know, elite Pro Bowl, future Hall of Fame receivers who uh, who weren't taken in the first round. And I sarcastically said, you know, these guys are proof that you you've got to get a receiver in round one. And I, I couldn't believe the number of people that thought I was dead serious and, 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 and were playing gotcha with, oh, none of these guys were even taken in the first round. What are you talking about? But this year, there's debate between Jets fans. Do they go O-line? Do they go receiver? To me, the answer is clear. It's got to be O-line. There are, you know, we talked about it before. There are up to 30 receivers in this class that talent evaluators consider starting caliber players. And I can tell you right now, there are not 30 starting tackles. Um, and that's where the Jets need to address. But again, j- we just talked about Paul Alexander, and he's going to join us now. Paul, are you with us? Yeah. How you doing? I'm doing great. My apologies for yesterday evening. We've had uh, we've had some bumps in the road here with Blog Talk, and we we've it's been I think it's been a while since we've had that issue. But uh, you were talking, and I was hearing you, but for whatever reason, you weren't getting me. But uh, now we're back, so we'll we'll give this another go, and uh, we'll we'll pretty much. We'll, We'll start over from what we did last night. You did a great job. I really enjoyed it. Um, go ahead and, and break down the tackles for us. To, because, again, this is, this is in my mind and in the minds of many Jets fans, it's the number one need for this team. Sam Darnold's safety has to be the priority. He has shown that when he has time in the pocket, he can deliver and win football games. But his, his, the, the, the rate at which he uh, had pressure last year, I believe, was worse than the NFL over the last seven or eight games. It was just a, a complete disaster. So this needs to get fixed. And it needs to start with a tackle. So r- run us through as a guy who's got, you know, again, 25-plus years, 30-plus years coaching experience overall when, when we include your time in the NFL and college. Uh, go through these tackles and tell us who you like, why you like them, and, and who you think might be the best fit for a team like the Jets where the emphasis looks to be on getting the, these agile, these guys who can move around well and who, um, because, you know, they're saying Adam Gase is going to have these these really wide splits. He wants to spread his offensive lineman out this year. And so they're going, that's why they signed George Fant from the Seahawks because his, his agility numbers are on par with, with uh, Tristan Wirth. So how do you, how do you, how do they line up for you and who do you like as a fit with the Jets? Um, yeah, well, I, I, I was listening to you talk uh, waiting to get on and you're, and you're oh, going over the discussion. Should they go tackle or should they go receiver in the first round? Um Historically, when you look at it, um, more starting tackles in the NFL were first-round picks than receivers. 
Mm-hmm. It's kind of more of a, a premier position uh, in terms of investment capital in your draft. Um, mm-hmm. So to me, if you take receiver in the first and wait till the second, there might be a starting tackle there. All right. Uh, I think there, this is a very uh, a well-endowed draft of offensive tackles and guards and centers, actually. It's an excellent year for offensive linemen. But the top guys, there's four guys that I think are going to go in the top half of the first round. And then there's four guys that are going to go at the end of the first or early in the second round. Now, um, you can take a flyer and hope that one of those eight guys would be there at the, what do you have, the 11th pick, I think the Jets have? Uh, yeah, the Jets know, are at 11, uh, and then their second rounder is number yeah. 48. Their second round's 48. Well, they're not going to get one of the, they're not going to get a tackle in the second round. That's, that's been my feeling. <laughs> I mean, the, yeah, the, the, it, it, there's a chance, obviously. There's always a chance. I give yeah, and right, anything can happen. But, but but here it is. There's four guys, right? Uh, it's kind of like, and then there were four. You know, that's a discussion of these uh, right, right. four tackles. And all four of these offensive tackles, in my estimation, are worthy of the top half of the first-round grade in any year. Um, uh, that's their worth. That's their value. I've, I've broken them down. I've graded them on film, and I give them a numeric grade, the same grade I used to give after 27 years coaching in the NFL, you know, of where that guy would be on a normal draft. And all four of these guys I've given grades to, and all four of them, the grades are very similar. So uh, in my opinion, you have to move up to get the guy you want. I wouldn't because I think there's four guys there um, uh, that all four of them are good players. And this is the order I got, right, the four, the top four. Andrew Thomas George, I got him first. I will say I worked with him. I've trained him. I worked with him last offseason. So I have to throw that out uh, uh, just so that, you know, uh, that I worked with the guy and I'm not just pushing my guy. Right, but right. Full disclosure. That's I who you. I have. I have Andrew Thomas first. Uh, he's from Georgia. He has ideal size, length, 36-inch arms, which is rare. So he has a rare body. He has rare athletic traits, all right? Um, uh, no, I'd say he has good athletic traits in terms of speed, agility, jump, all that kind of stuff. But what he does have rare is he has rare productivity. Pro Football Focus grades all these guys, and they graded Andrew Thomas of the draft tackles as the highest, most productive grader in the nation this year, all right? So here you go. You got a guy with rare uh physical size and good ability and rare production in the Southeast conference. I say he's the best. I mean, he's the safest pick. He's athletic. He can move. Uh, To me, he's the first one that goes. Uh, The next one uh, in my mind is from Alabama, Jedrick Wills, right? Jedrick Wills played right tackle in Alabama. He certainly can play left tackle. He's athletic. He's quick. He's tough. He finishes, uh, he's a very inspiring player. He looks NFL ready to me in terms of technique. Uh, his line coach, Kyle Flood, who I know very well, says he's a, oh, the best offensive lineman he's seen ready to play NFL football tomorrow. So Jedrick Wills goes in right away at right tackle and starts. Uh, I would do that and probably move him to left at some point after he knew the game. Uh, the only concern on Jedrick Wills is he's only 6'4". Uh, you, you'd like a tackle at least six five. You'd like a tackle six six, to be honest with you. And uh, but uh, and he ran well at the combine, and he had long long enough arms. Um, so I think Jedrick Wills is next. He's an athletic, quick guy. The third guy, all right. Uh, and some have him first, and everyone has all these four guys in a different order. Everyone goes these, four, but everyone's got these four. There is no yep. fifth, and there is no three. It's and then there were four, right? Everyone has these same four guys in different ranking orders, and some people have Tristan Wolfs after the combine from Iowa, number one. Before the combine, if you go back in time, before the combine, Tristan Wolfs Iowa uh, was oh yeah highly rated, but everyone had him as okay. 
left tackle, okay, but he's probably a guard. And then you go, whoa, whoa, <laughs> why is he a guard? You know, and you see it on the film. Early in the season, he has some tr- trouble with production. Uh, doesn't use his hands properly. You have to go back. If you take Tristan Works, you have to, in your mind, define why he looked poor early in the year, particularly watch the Michigan game. All right. Uh, you'll have to say, uh, oh, yeah, he gave up pressures. You know, this guy beat him on double moves, on run and pass. He took poor angles. What, what, what happened on all that? Well, when you watch him at the end of the year, and you see him play at the end of the year. He made a drastic change from good coaching and good analysis on his own. I don't know which it was, but he changed the technique and the use of his hands. So what is Tristan worse? Is he the best guy? Is he the last guy? Is he a guard? Is he a tackle? In my analysis, I think, yes, he's a left tackle. All right. Right tackle he played, you know, but yes, he can play left tackle. And why do I discount what happened to him early in the season? Well, I'm going to partially discount it on my feeling that he's corrected his technique errors. All right. And, uh, but that's not a complete given. That's why I don't have him first. And that's why I don't have him as a guard. So that's Tristan Works, Iowa. The fourth guy, all right, which many say is first, I say he's fourth, uh, is. Makai Becton at Louisville. This guy is a monster. I don't know anyone playing that's as big as he is. Okay, is that good? Well, uh, typically I don't like to draft outliers. Um, Outliers make me nervous. Uh, You know, whether they're excessively big or excessively small. Uh, Aaron Gibson, if you remember him from Wisconsin, was a sure can't miss tackle. He was extremely large. He was rear flexibility. He was a monster. He was a bust by the New York Giants. All right. Um, he couldn't move quick enough. All right. Now, Makai Becton, okay, he's a monster, but he runs fast. You say, my God, he runs 5 1. All right. Uh, but this is what I see on film with him I see a massive man but everything's too long. His strides are too long. His punch is too long. Uh, He's going to have trouble versus elite rushers until he learns to tighten everything down. Do I think he can do it? Yes, I think he can do it. All right. I had concerns with Aaron Gibson uh, coming out. I don't have the same concerns with Becton other than I think he's a little slow, a little, a little slow to recover in terms of agility. That's a concern. Um, so that's the order that I have them, all right? I like them all. I think they're all starting tackles. I think they're all worthy, a top half of the first-round picks. And once again, I go Thomas, Georgia, Wills, Alabama, Wirfs, Iowa, and then Beckton, Louisville. And now what is so that? When, when you certainly get one of those four. Yeah, I, I really like their chances, especially with all the talk about teams that, are, that might want to move up and grab a quarterback. Um, but my, my question about that is um, in regard to Wills, what is it specifically that you see? Because you sound really sure of yourself that he can make that transition to left tackle. That seems to be the number one thing that people knock, in, just in terms of saying, well, positional value, we don't know if he can move to the left side. And, you know, being a right tackle, he's not protecting the blind side. And some people, for that reason, don't even want him. They say, oh, we, got, we have to get somebody who knows how to play the left side. Now, the Jets signed George Fan, who might be able to, yeah. a guy who can hold the fort while Wills comes along. But is, is there something specific George about Fan his a, game? Yeah. Yeah, is there yeah. something specific George about Fan his game that you see and say he yeah. can make that move? George Fant, you're saying, might hold the fort. I say, George Fant, hold your breath. <laughs> really? Oh, boy. <laughs> you know, George Fant, George Fant and Jedrick Wills are not even a comparison in my mind. Um, well, I, I was I was two. trying to be generous and say hold the fort because I do have my concerns, but uh, but not, not, I guess uh, not <laughs> well, a big. In fact, I don't know what the Jets were doing in uh, free agency. I looked at their free agency. I go, oh my God, you got to be kidding me! You got a bunch of backups. Um, yeah, that's that's the concern. It, it, it kind of, it feels like they they uh, what they had was was so bad last year that they felt like if we can go on the cheap 
and just and just add a bunch of guys on essentially one year deals. You know, you, we're seeing these three year deal, four year deal, and there are really guys that can be let go after a season. But what worries me about Fant is that he played on a team that has, you know, for the last five, six, seven years, we always say Russell Wilson should win the MVP because nobody blocks for him. And, uh, and Fant couldn't win a starting job there, and Seattle let him walk. So that, that was a kind of a red flag for me. But, um, yeah. but so, so beyond those guys, beyond those – first with Wills, what is it specifically that, you, yeah. that makes you so confident he, he can transition? And then who are your next well, tackles behind yeah. the top four? Yeah, well – it's going to depend on the team. Some teams – see, he's going to be hurt because there's uh, uh, really no chance for people to go work him out and say, okay, come on over here and do these drills on the left and see how you look. Um, because some guys uh, look natural doing it. Okay, yeah, I'll go over on the left and do it. And other guys, they just can't do it for whatever reason. To me, I find it confusing because I'm kind of an ambidextrous guy myself. I used to switch it in baseball and the whole works in – Left, right, what's the difference? I go very good that way. I go more to do it this way. But not everybody's like that, and I appreciate that, and I understand that. But this kid is so technical, and I see in him that he has a great understanding and awareness of blocking that I would be shocked if he can't translate and go over on the left. The guys that, that have a hard time making that transition that I've seen over the years um, are guys that, yeah, they don't really quite get blocking, you know, and they have to really work hard and really, you know, uh, focus in on one side. And he looks much more natural to me than that. Um, so, yeah, there's no pro day. Uh, yeah, you'd hold your breath a little bit saying, okay, maybe, uh, you know, you'd say, yeah, I'm pretty sure he can play on the left. But I didn't go to his pro day, and I didn't see that he could. Um but I've seen enough on film that tells me, yeah, I, I think he can make that transition. All right, Coach. So so who are your next two? You said you had six first-round grades. Who do you have behind those four? Okay, I've got two more. All right, there's a left tackle from Houston. He's going to go at the end of the first round. I think he could start, certainly. Uh, uh, he's an excellent pass blocker. He, has tr- he, he had the highest pass blocking grade in the country last year. Um, he is trem- I call him... I call him Quiet Feet Loud Hands. That's the nickname I gave him when I was with Sirius Radio doing the uh, Senior Bowl uh, tele- uh, audio cast, I guess you call him. Uh, and uh, so Josh Jones played at Houston. He's a terrific left tackle pass blocker, can change direction, knows how to use his hands. He's been really well coached. He's ready to play. He's a plug-and-play player. He doesn't quite have the... You know, his size looks good, but he doesn't really have huge size that really put him up with those other guys. But uh, I think he's going to be a good player. He's a starting tackle, Josh Jones. The last one would be Austin Jackson. Austin Jackson's from USC. I think he'll go at the end of the first round. Uh, I think uh, there might be one other guy, but I think Austin Jackson will go at the end of the first round. He's he's very athletic. He's quick. He's too quick. Uh, he doesn't really know how to slow down and speed up. He just sets out there as fast as he can, and he gets beat on double moves. He's got some learning to do. He is not a plug-and-play first-year starting left tackle in the National Football League. If he is, he's going to have some problems. He's going to have to learn how to govern his speed and change direction and learn all the moves and the timing and the rhythm of the rushers and uh, – Right now, he looks like a very good athlete who doesn't really know uh, how to pass block at an elite level right now. Um, that's Austin Jackson, USC. Um, he could be there in the second round, you know. But Another now, guy, uh, is, go ahead. Oh no, I was going to say in terms of Josh Jones, you you do feel like he's a guy who could start if he ta- if someone takes him in the first round that he'd be ready, but but not the case with Jackson. Correct, yeah. Jackson has really high ceiling. Um, he's a terrific athlete. Um, he has a chance to be really good, but he's got to learn how to do it, and he's got to learn it in a hurry. Um, so he'll go. He'll go, and he should go to a team, ideally, where he doesn't have to play right away as a rookie, but then he'll, you know, hopefully he can figure it out and have a good long career and be a good, good player. 
you know, Wilson from Georgia might be there, the right tackle, the other tackle at Georgia, big, massive, powerful right tackle. He could be there in the second round. The last two that I think have a chance to play early would be Lucas Yang from TCU, although he had a hip and he didn't do anything at the combine. He had no really no pro day and no workouts, and he was uh, – uh, I've worked with him, too. I need to disclose that. And uh, over time, for two years in a row, in the conference at TCU, he was the highest-graded pass blocker there. So so he's a very productive player. He's a vertical setter, not really an NFL uh, kick slide setter. Um, but there's him. And then there's Matt Pope from Connecticut, who might take a little time. But, but those are your options maybe in the second round. If you've got to have a tackle – the second round is a risk. Now, one one guy I wanted to ask you about because he he really blew people away at the combine. He got overshadowed by uh, by Tristan Wirth's performance. But um, Ezra Cleveland of Boise is he a guy that if you take him? I mean, I assume so because you're, you're kind of into these guys now who aren't day one starters. Is he a guy who needs a year uh, to sit and learn before he's ready to step in? Because I've I've seen people who say that you know they look at the combine he had and they. I think a lot of fans are, are holding out hope that, that they can grab a tackle in round two, which, as you said, and I tend to agree, barring something shocking, I don't see a day one starter being available at 48 at tackle. Um, but Ezra Cleveland, how close is he, when you see him, is, is he to being a starting caliber player? Uh, I think he's got good athletic traits. Um, I think he did a nice job at the combine. Uh, I was disappointed watching his film. He's kind of head-heavy meaning he's a lunger a bit. Uh, he doesn't really know how to use his hands the way an NFL player does. Uh, he gets too much on his toes and overextends some. He doesn't really play with the balance that an NFL player does. So I think he's a he's a supposed to be a good guy and a hardworking guy, and he did good at the combine, but he's got a year to learn in my mind. If he goes in there, if he starts as a rookie um well, whoever coached him really should get Coach of the Year award um, if he has a good season because he, he, he has some technical work he has to do. I think if he All right. that, I think he's going to be fine. Yeah. Okay, thanks for that. That wraps up the tackles. So uh, moving inside yeah. now, uh, let's, let's take a look at your guards. There's a, a couple guys I had some specific questions about, but just, if you just want to do the same thing and kind of run through your top three or four guys and, uh, and what it is you like about them. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's an excellent year for guards. In fact, I got a whole bunch of guys that I think are like second round picks, third round picks. And what's funny when uh, oh Jim Miller and Pat Kerwin when they were on series three in their mock draft the other day, they did it through the first two rounds. And what was funny is they didn't pick a guard in the or they didn't pick a guard or a center in the second round. And uh, and why is that? Well, because it's loaded there. Um, you can get in the third round one hell of a guard or a center in my mind. Um, you know, guys who typically, because because of the depth of the draft, uh, would typically go sooner than that. Um, anyways, the guy I like best, you know, I think there's, uh, what's funny is I called around, I, I was gathering names at first, so I knew who to study, and I'm calling around different line coaches I knew, and they gave me, I said, okay, give me all your uh, top three round guards, right? And I got 11 names from different guys. You know, and I was like, when I got done, I was like, this is crazy. There's never 11 guards in the first three rounds. Right. And, uh, but I got 11 names. So it depends how you like them. Uh, so I can't guarantee the way they're going to go off. But if I were picking them, I'd pick them this way. The first one I like is Jonah Jackson from Ohio State. He's a transfer from, uh, uh, what do they call them? They're in the uh, portal. He's a portal transfer from Rutgers. He, uh, he didn't win hardly any games at Rutgers and, that, Rutgers. and then he goes to Ohio State. And Greg Studwar, the line coach at Ohio State, told me that you know, he came from a one-on-eleven team, and but he brought a championship attitude. You know, he said that he was the team leader. You know, on the line and the team, and so I like that. He has great leadership, but not only that, he's tough. He's got strong hands. He knows how to block. He's a nasty finisher. Uh, you know, he uh, he covers a lot of grass with confidence. He plays with thud. 
I don't know. I really like the player, uh, Jonah Jackson from Ohio State. Um, the the next guy, and we're talking about groupings of guys here. The next guy I have is Shane Lemieux from Oregon, who originally they were saying, you know, was probably a first-round pick if you followed this early. Um, I think he's probably going to go in the second. He may go in the third. Uh, he fell down a little bit. Didn't have a great combine, you know, because – he, he's got good size, but he's straight line. He's a little slow in the agilities. He didn't bench, so what is he weak? No one knows. Um, he questions his explosiveness, but on film, he's a big man with thud. He plays tough and productive. Um, oh, I'd say makes solid contact. He has good strike. He can roll his hips, um, you know, and he's a productive player, and I, and I like him. I think he's... Uh, you know, a second or a third round pick. Uh, the next guy in that same group of guys uh, is Damian Lewis from LSU. Uh, you know, at the combine, you know, he jumped really good. You know, he jumped 30 inches and he got 33 inch arms. He weighs 332 pounds. Uh, he's got a strong punch. He's got initial quickness with quick twitch. Uh, I like how he pass blocks where he can arch his back. Um, he's just adequate in space. Um, he's more of a box player, um, so but he's a good player. He's a, I, think I give him a second-round grade, Damian Lewis from LSU. And the last guy I gave with a second-round grade is Ben Breedison from Michigan. Um, he's a thick guy. Uh, heck, he looks 30 years old right now. He looks mature. You know, he's got the – shoot, I'm 60, and he shaves more than I do. You know, and he, he's got big, strong hands, solid, plays nasty, um, he's aggressive. Sometimes he's too aggressive. Sometimes he lunges. You know, he pass where he needs to learn how to anchor a little bit better and not be quite as aggressive. But he's a great finisher. And and shoot, he was a two-time captain in Michigan, which has never happened before. And uh, I like everything about him. All four of those guys, in my mind, the second-round guys: Jackson, Ohio State; Lemieux, Oregon; Lewis, LSU; Breedison from Michigan. Put him in their day one starter. Yeah, uh, Breedison was a guy um, I, that I liked a lot early on. Talked about him a little bit. And uh, the thing that really impressed me was his level of play and his age. He's only 20, 21 years old. He's still a young guy. And um, as you said, you know, two-time captain at Michigan at that age. So shows, you know, he's got to have a, a great deal of maturity in that locker room that, uh, that Jim Harbaugh and that his teammates liked. Yeah, I think he's a rare kid that way. Yeah. And, and then so, I got uh, four in the. I got four guys also in the third round. I'll just talk about them briefly. Tremaine Anchor sure. from Clemson. I've worked with him. He played right tackle. He was the best plot, pass blocker in the ACC last year, grade wise. In fact, it was kind of cool of the of the uh, uh, oh the Big Five conferences in the country. Three of the uh, guys I trained that were the best pass blockers in each of their conferences this year. But so I worked with him. So I know he can pass block. He knows how to play. You know, he's a big, strong guy. Uh, there's a kid, Solomon Kinley at Georgia, uh, who they were saying was a first round pick at one point. Uh, he's a big, strong, powerful guy who, uh, you know, a little bit slow, um, but I've worked with him too. I like him. He's strong. He's powerful. Um, I think he goes in the second or third round. Jack Driscoll from Auburn, I've worked with him too. He goes in the same area. Uh, he's a pretty good athlete. He transferred from UMass as a fifth-year player. And uh, and then there's John Simpson at Clemson. I know him as well. And uh, John is a big, strong guy who is a wrestler. Who, uh, so there it is. I think there's literally eight guys um, in, you can get in the second or third round as guards that will be, if not day one starter, awfully early in their career starting and playing um, at an upper level uh, level in my in my position or in my opinion of uh, starters in the National Football League. Now that's I mean that is a big number and and I see that uh, one guy that you've got as your fourth round prospects was was one of the main guys I wanted to ask you about because. I think he was probably my favorite prospect early, and uh, I, I knew he'd had some injury history. I didn't realize quite how extensive it was, but uh, Nuthani Muti from Fresno, uh, the guy is just uh, on film, the, the way he ragdolls, you know, the man lined up across from him, 
just so impressive. I really thought he would be like a second, third rounder. And then you look at the injury history and the amount of time he missed. There are people, you know, some of the, the more respected analysts out there who say that he is going to have a free fall because of his injuries. Um, it, do you have him as a fourth because of the injuries, or do you just view him as a uh, fourth-round talent? Here's what I have on here, – yeah, here's what I have on Moody, and it's unfortunate because, shoot, like you, the early projections, I saw all the draft mix having him as a first-round pick. You know, he, he was projected to be the first inside player drafted of all the guards and centers, right? Well, here's what I'm watching on film. I see real aggressiveness. But the problem is I see lots of holding penalties. I see lots of pancakes where I'm watching the play, and, yeah, he kills the guy, but I'm saying, no, in the National Football League, that's holding. That don't count. You can't do that. And so I can't give a guy positive grades for blocks that are illegal. Right, and it's over and over and over again. In the Minnesota game, I counted seven blocks that would be called holding in the National Football League. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of guys, oh, yeah, he looks tough. I love his toughness. Look at the way he finishes. And I say, no, that's holding. You can't freaking grab a guy and throw a guy on the ground like that. Interesting, and, uh, interesting. So, yeah, so you got to throw those plays out in my mind. All right, and then if you throw those plays out and you look at all the other plays – you know, he looks like a, a decent guy. But you got the injury questions. You got three years in a row where he had uh, uh, injury problems. He got Achilles, he's got a shoulder, he's got a hip, you know. And um, so, in my mind, I have him off the board. Uh, if And I do this as if I was still coaching today. Where would I have these guys? And in this guy, I would unfortunately have off the board. Because I don't know. There's no medical recheck. Is his hip still bothering him? Uh, uh, I didn't go work him out. What are the issues? Uh, I don't know if he's healthy. Um, so I think, unfortunately, because of the whole uh, situation with the virus, uh, he is going to free fall because there's two gotcha. questions on the guy. And then, and then behind him, who do we have at guard? These, you're, uh, you have anyone else as a sort of fifth rounder? Yeah, the kid from Kansas, some people like him better. Um, I'm going to try to say his name, Hazim Adiviji, all right? And, uh, you know, he's an athletic guy who in time has a chance to be a starter. Um, he's got a lot of physical skills, but he's, you know, technique is way off at this time. And then uh, Logan Stenberg, you know, is highly rated, a uh, uh, guard from Kentucky who's really tough. He and Muti are the two toughest players at their position in the draft. And uh, uh, Stenberg, unfortunately, you know, is kind of a mauler. You're going to, you're either going to love him or not love him. He's not really a space player, not really an athlete player, but he's kind of a inside plugger smasher type of guy. All right. And, uh, and moving on to the centers, uh, you know, we yeah. talked about Muti uh, and the injuries there. Uh, one guy, that I was I was wanting to talk about was Tyler Biadish because he's another guy yeah. that early on in the process he was kind of viewed as the top center in the country potential first rounder um, had some had a, a shoulder injury I believe still played didn't play quite as well he's another guy that we've seen go from round one to kind of round three four five depending on who you're listening to but uh, that, that was a number that really surprised me you're feeling the centers and and, uh, and Biadish. Yeah, I. Uh, are you still with me there? I'm here. Hello. Hello. Oh, you're starting to break up a little bit. You there? Uh, I can. Sorry hear about you. that. I'm here. I'm going to keep talking. All right. Um, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, Tyler. When I saw him, same with you. I kept seeing first round, you know, top center, all that, and then I go to put the film on, and I go, my God, the guy, the guy doesn't unlock his hips. You know, he doesn't snap on anyone. Uh, what am I missing on this guy? This guy's not a first-round pick. And uh, and then I find out that he was hurt this year and that he actually had his shoulder injected five times um, this year to play. And he also has some hip injuries, which hopefully those are okay. Um, because I went back and I watched his uh, tape from 2018, the year before. And, yeah, I can see why they had him as a first-round pick, because he, he plays good. 
you know, he does snap his hips. He does drive the guy. So, but his senior film does not look that way. Uh, so I think what's actually going to happen with the guy, he is the other guy like Muti, who there's no medical recheck. We don't know on the guy, you know, uh, uh, is he healthy? Can he do it? I think when it's all said and done, it's going to, you know, it's like Wall Street. People people buy stocks that they feel confident in. And the confidence level of knowing exactly what he is is questionable. So he's going to fall. And somebody, in my mind, in the fourth round is going to get a hell of a player if he's healthy. If he's not healthy, then it's a risk they took. Um, but there's that Tyler Beatles from Wisconsin. Yep, go ahead. Uh, so I was to say, so, so if you're – if you're sitting in the uh, in the war room or you're sitting in the draft prep, and your coach asks you, you know, how high of a pick should we use on this guy? How high are you going to go to get a player of the Uh I'm I'm saying uh, take him for sure if he's there in the fourth. I'd consider it in the third. To me, oh, there's great. too many unknowns. You you can't. Uh, I would have said if if I just saw uh, the film from the year before, I would have said in the first round take him. And wouldn't have batted an eye, but those eyes are batting now. Uh, I got yeah, I know the the injury concerns. He's definitely dropped. Um, yeah, especially so, so, the hip one, the hip one, the hip injury. Because on film, I don't, I kept writing over and over again. He doesn't unlock his hips. He doesn't always use his hips. And then I'm told that you know he might have a hip injury, and I go, oh no. So that is a huge concern because not only do I see something on film. Before I was told there was a problem, and then I told, was told there was a problem, which kind of confirms what I saw. Right. Then I got some reservations. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's the thing with with some of these guys with Muti Biatish, all these guys who can't go through these medical rechecks at pro days and and individual meetings, it will hurt them. But um, so if you could, coach, wrap up your last few centers, and we'll let you go for the night. Thanks so much for your time. Uh, cool. Who else yeah. you got? Uh, Matt Hennessy, I worked with him. I worked with a lot of these guys. Uh, Matt Hennessy, I worked with him. He's the quickest, most athletic of the centers. Uh, he can reach. He's from Temple. Uh, he has tremendous body control, tremendous uh, coordination. He's just an athlete and an athlete who plays with strength. And uh, uh, he needs to get – he plays with strength in his athletic approach. Now, he needs – I say that. And at the same time, I'm going to say he needs to get stronger. You know, he needs to go in the weight room, needs to gain a little bit of weight, needs to get bigger. Um, but I think uh, I think he's a solid pick. He's going to be a long-term starting center and a really good athlete at that. He reminds me very much of the uh, the center from uh, uh, Kels from uh, um, the Eagles. In fact, I could see them taking him because they're going to need a guy. But okay, um, yeah, Travis Kelsey. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, uh, Lloyd Cushenberry from LSU, you know, big long arms, strong hands. Uh, He's great as a middle pass protector, strong and stout. And uh, I I like him. He pops out protection some, but NFL teams really don't do that. Uh, Sometimes he loses awareness. He needs to improve his peripheral awareness. Um, But I think he's a good player. I think he's probably going to go in the second or third round. Um, that's where he should go. Now, will they go there? I'm not sure because of the, the like I said, the, um, the, the quality of the position in those rounds. And the last guy I think in there is Cesar Ruiz. Um, many people have him as the first center to go. I can see that. He did a nice job at the combine. Uh, he did all the drills. He, there's no uncertainty on this guy because you know what he is. They say he's a great leader at Michigan and uh, tougher than hell and plays good. He needs to work on his, um, he needs to work on his technique and balance and some of those things better. Um, I see him being a little bit away in terms of being a day one starter, but uh, if he gets that, uh, uh, I think he can be a good player. So I like all four of those guys, second, third round picks, uh, and one or two of them are going to slide to the fourth, the centers. All right. Well, listen, Coach, thank you so much for your time. Much appreciated. Thank you for all the insight. 
Uh, you know, we wanted to have you on here because we wanted to get a guy who's been there, who's been in the war rooms, who's, who's coached these guys in the trenches, who's done the interviews, and, and who has watched these guys up close at the Senior Bowl. You've worked with a lot of them just to kind of get a feel from, from someone who's been there and done it and done it at the level you have. So thanks a lot for joining us, and thanks for all the insight tonight. All right, take care, Coach. All right, so there you have it. Former Bengals offensive line coach Paul Alexander. As I said at the top, this is a guy who was, uh, was it 2015, I think it was, Sports Illustrated, dream team offensive line coach. And uh, he had some some interesting things to say, uh, the, the least of which was, was not uh, the uh, – funny that I, all I anticipated talking about was, uh, was the draft picks. And uh, we sort of inadvertently venture into the, the moves the Jets made. And he just kind of says, hold your breath. And why did they sign a bunch of backups? <laughs> kind of kind of took the air out of this room. Um, you know, even having said myself that uh, I've got my concerns about George Fant. Um, obviously not, not, a, not a huge fan in Paul Alexander. But I, I, think, I think the thing with Fant and where you have to remain optimistic is that he did. He appeared to play better near the second half of last season. And you hope that as a guy who didn't play a lot of football up until a few years ago, that he kind of is starting to turn the corner and is a better player than a guy who could, you know, the, the guy who couldn't win a starting job with the Seahawks where they have been so bad for so long in protecting their quarterback. But, uh, but getting back to that, what I was saying earlier in the show with the, uh, I thought it was funny. I, as I said, I kind of sent out a, a, a ball busting tweet naming I named five, six, seven receivers who were sort of undrafted fifth round picks, second round picks, third round picks, and said, you know, these guys are proof that you have to get a receiver in round one. Um, very clearly, uh, to me anyway, uh, being sarcastic. And the number of people who were like, who thought I was serious. Oh, dude, you don't know what you're talking about. Contradicting you. So look at this. None of these guys are taking the first round, you idiot. This guy was taken. Thielen was undrafted. Like, no, I think I just happened to randomly pick like six dudes that were not picked in the round I said they were picked in. So uh, anyway, yeah, that should, that kind of reinforces it. Go back and listen to that that interview with with uh, Paul Alexander. And actually, having said the, the comments about the Jets jumped out at me, the thing that, that was most telling was when he talked about whether or not the Jets would be able to get a tackle in the second round. And he probably thought they were picking in the early 40s. You know, the Jets ended up at 48. You would think, okay, 11 picks. You know, or you're picking 11 in round one. You must be picking it, you know, 42, 43 in round two. And when I said 48, he's kind of said, oh, well, then you're not getting one. Like, that's it. Like, you know, at first he was optimistic. Like, yeah, some of these guys might be available in round two. You'd be able to get them. You know, where are you guys picking 11? And I said, yeah, we're picking 11 and then uh, 48 in round two. Oh, okay, then you're not getting one. And that's my feeling. That's why I asked about Ezra Cleveland. That's why I wanted to know about these guys that, you know, people are telling me on, on Twitter and on Facebook. And, you know, you see people saying it in the forums on JetNation.com, which if you are not signed up as a member, JetNation.com, checking out the forums, getting all the arguments, the debates, the conversations. Some of them are nice, cordial conversations. Knowledgeable, passionate, sometimes insane Jets fans. Check out the forums on JetNation.com. But you go in there and everybody's, oh, gra- grab a tackle in the second round. Grab Ezra Cleveland. It doesn't have to be one of these top four guys. It doesn't have to be a top five guy. I, I, I beg to differ. I don't, you know, like I said on the call, I was, I was being generous saying George Fant's a hold the fort guy. Um, yeah, there's some positives there, but, but there's a whole lot of negative as well. And my concern is if Fant isn't any good, are you then handing it over to to a, a guy who needs a year or two before he's ready. I'm, I'm sticking by it, man. Tackle in round one. Right, it's got to be. Even if it's Josh, and I understand people are saying Josh Jones is late, a late first round guy. Some people say, I think Manish Maida had the Jets trading down and taking him at 15. I say take him at 11. If the other four guys are gone, take him. If he's good enough to take in the first round, you take him anywhere in the first round. Yes, in a perfect world, you trade back, you add picks, and you get him at 18 or 20 or whatever. But if you're Joe Douglas and you're sitting there at 11 and the top four tackles are gone and some team is calling you saying, 
Uh, Joe, we'll give you a four if you move down seven spots. I'm sorry, that's not enough. If you want to offer me more, if you want to offer me fair value, I would love to move down and take Josh Jones at 15, 16, 17, 18. However, you're not compensating me adequately. I'm going to take Josh Jones to be my starting left tackle at number 11. I would do that, even if he is projected as a middle-slash-late-round guy. Because if I don't, and I take, I, I take a receiver, I take Judy, Lamb, Ruggs, whoever, and then I think I'll grab a tackle in round two, and then you get all the way to pick number 48, and you're staring at a bunch of guys who are projects, guys who you don't think will be ready. Now you got a guy who's not ready and a guy who couldn't win a starting job in Seattle. I mean, isn't the whole idea here? Isn't the whole damn thing supposed to be about building around Sam Darnold? And I've, I've said it before, so I, I, I'm sorry if I sound like a broken record. But I, I, it's one of those things I just can't get my head around it. I can't understand how you can explain to somebody, and we just heard it, you're not getting a tackle in round two. You're not getting a day one starter in round two. But yet, Eric DaCosta, Ravens GM, worked, for, worked under Ozzie Newsom for a thousand years. He probably knows a thing or two about putting a team together. He said yesterday, this receiver class is so deep, we feel like we can get an impact guy an immediate impact guy in round five. So here's my thing, taking it a step further. This is my new thought, my new thought process on the Jets. And maybe I'm crazy, but here's what I would like to see Joe Douglas do. Because we know for years, whether it's Mike McCagnan, whether it's John Idzik, the GMs here have failed time and again to invest early picks in the, in the premier positions. We're not seeing the left tackles. We're not seeing the edge rushers. We're not seeing the corners. We're not seeing the picks being invested in these guys early on. We've seen the safeties and the D linemen and the D linemen and the D linemen and the D linemen and the middle linebackers. How about this year? You look at your draft board and along the lines of Eric DaCosta, you say, you know what? We can get a starting receiver in the fourth round. Or we've got, we've got two-thirds this year. We can get a starting receiver in the third round. With our, let's, let's say we, we earmark that second-round pick for a receiver on the board with third-round pick number two. With our fourth-rounder, we're taking the best receiver on the board again. With the sixth-rounder, maybe even fifth. But at least sixth, one of those sixth rounders, we're taking the best receiver on the board. And you're adding them to Perryman, to Crowder, to Herndon, to Griffin, to Bell, if Adam Gase learns to line him up as a receiver from time to time. You got some targets now. I I tweeted it out the other day, Brian Edwards, South Carolina. That's the guy I like. Doesn't have to be him. Pick your favorite guy. Because I don't want it to be about the player. I don't want people to say, oh, I can't believe you want to take that dude in the, you know, with that second, third round pick. I wouldn't take that guy because blah, 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 blah. Take, think of your favorite guy. Who's your favorite receiver who might be available with that pick? Not the first, third round, or the second, third round pick and the fourth round pick. Who are your two favorite guys? Because chances are, we know from what DaCosta said, there are going to be starting caliber players on the board in those rounds. So you earmark those two picks. That 3A, that's going to a receiver. That fourth rounder, that's going to a receiver. That first rounder, that's an offensive tackle. Best tackle on the board, we're taking him. If it's Josh Jones, you take him. You hope it's it's a better guy, a guy you have rated higher. But Josh Jones is still a first-round guy, 10-year starter, is what you anticipate when you take a first rounder. So your one is your starting left tackle. Your second, third rounder, that's a receiver. Your fourth rounder, that's a receiver. That means round two, take the best edge guy. Or line it up. Look at your edges, look at your corners. The positions that the Jets keep neglecting and fans keep bitching about it, rightfully so. And you say, we're taking the best of whichever one is there. It's a cor- Okay, A.J. Terrell is there. We like him best out of, the, out of him and, and the other corners and the edge guys. We're taking A.J. Terrell round two. 
Now you have a starting left tackle and a starting corner in Terrell. Let him battle. Listen, we, I know they got this year. This year is a question mark. Bless Austin played great for six games. He's a question mark. They have no definite answer at corner. And yes, he's a draft pick. It's a crapshoot. I get that. But you know what I'm saying. So you got your starting left tackle in round one. You got a starting caliber corner in round two. Round three, look at the edges. Is Okwara there? Do you like him? Grab Okwara with your third round pick or the best edge guy on the board, whoever that might be. Only caveat to that, I would say, and I've said before, I don't love this draft class at, on the edges. So if it's between Okwara and maybe a Weaver, whoever, name, name three, four, five guys you like in that spot. But maybe, as we just heard from Paul Alexander, maybe one of these top-notch, maybe one of these guards, who maybe it's a second-round talent, and they fall to round three, take the guard. Not a premier position, but it's a need. It's good value if it's one of these guys that fall. And then you use that fifth rounder and one of your sixes on the be- Travis Gibson out of Tulsa, edge guy. I like him. Good value. I think he's as good as some of the guys who are going to go rounds before him. And then, and then with your last pick, take another project edge guy. Because when you're talking fifth, sixth, seventh rounders, listen, I know we all like to sit down before the draft. And we do our mock drafts, and our, in, in, in our own minds, we, we convince ourselves that every one of these dudes is going to be starting by year three. No, no, one, no one misses in a mock draft. Everyone can envision the reason why their favorite guy is going to be an eventual starter. That's not reality. Most guys, the, the deeper you go in the draft, the less likely it is they'll hit. So why the hell not? Grab, grab, grab. Two, two edge guys. And that, you're doing that because you're passing on the edge in round three for an interior lineman. You follow that road, you follow that plan, and you're going to come away with a starting left tackle, starting corner, starting guard or edge, and then a, at least one starting receiver, that fourth rounder. Again, Brian Edwards, that's my guy. But whatever. There are other guys. Too. There's a million receivers in this class. That's four starters. If you do it the other way, and you say, well, I want to take C.D. Lamb, Jerry, Judy, whoever. Let's say you take a receiver at one. Okay, and listen, I don't dislike these players. As much as I'm saying, take a tackle, take a tackle, take a tackle. You don't think I'm going to be smiling if, if Jerry, Judy is, is going to be a Jet and Sam Darnold is going to be thrown to him? I'm going to be worried about how they're going to fix the tackle situation, but that's an exciting, that's an exciting prospect. Don't get me wrong. But if we do it that way, say you take Judy in the first round, you still need a tackle. Second round, do you take a tackle then? Because if you do, you're getting a guy who's probably not going to start for a year or two. So you're not, getting a, you're not getting a year one starter. And then do you invest another pick in a receiver that early if you took one at one? I mean, again, you can still take them late. But by going receiver first, you're leaving yourself without a tackle. And I, I, I don't like that. I don't like that. Especially when we consider the fact that last year when the O-line was bad, we didn't see Adam Gase move the pocket a whole lot. I mean, if we'd seen Adam Gase do some things last year that makes you believe he's got Sam Darnold's health in mind as, as like a top priority, then I'd be a little bit happier about that. As I've said, you know, line Le'Veon Bell up in the slot, some quick hitters across the middle, a little more play action, more rolling to his right. At least if somebody on that side gets beat, he can see the guy coming. But we didn't see a lot of that from Adam Gase. So you're telling me you want to take a receiver and then get a, a guy who's not ready to start at tackle with the second pick. And this is why, folks. Listen, I could be wrong. None of us have a damn crystal ball. I, I can say till I'm blue in the face that I'm 100% confident, and I may at the end of the day be wrong, and Joe Douglas might absolutely shock me. But I don't. Joe Douglas is an O-line guy. Joe Douglas had said, has said Sam Darnold's safety is his priority. I don't see any way this team does not go offensive tackle at 11 unless they plan on trading back up in round, back into round one or at least moving up into the top of round two to maybe 
to see if Josh Jones falls that far, which I, I, I don't know that he will. Or maybe, maybe you know, even if we say Austin Jackson. If, and listen, we have a guy like Paul Alexander on because the guy knows a million times more about the NFL and the offensive line than me or any other guest I could get. You're not going to find, there's not a lot of guys with 30 years, 25, 30 years experience floating around, uh, you know, just, just waiting to pop onto a show. You can get writers, you can get bloggers, you might get a former player. But for a coach who's done it that long, but that, listen, that being said, maybe he's wrong. Uh, and I'm not saying that in a way like maybe I know better than him, but listen, coaches are wrong. GMs are wrong. It happens. Maybe a team takes Austin Jackson and, you know, by week four, he's ready to start and he's looking great. Maybe, but it's less likely. So if you want to leave Sam Darnold out there with, with George Fant and a, and a project tackle, then that's up, you know, listen, I, I just, I, I disagree. I would not do that. That is not in Sam Donald's best interest. But what's in your best interest, if you have a business you're managing, is to use Mile Social. That's right, you business managers. If you, you need somebody to run all of your social media platforms for you, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be, to help with managing all your online needs for your business, contact milesocial.com. That's M-I-L-E social, milesocial.com for all of your social media platform business needs. Check them out, milesocial.com. So that's where I'm at, folks. I pitched it the other day, kind of just was, was thinking out loud. And because I keep saying that they have to, the, the, Jets, the Jets, they have to take advantage of this deep draft class. You need receivers, take advantage of it, take advantage of it. And what I meant at the time was grab a receiver at 48, maybe grab another one in round three, and then another one in round five. And then I thought to myself, well, what if you push it back a round? Or instead of that first third rounder, what if that second third rounder? Then what do you do with the picks between one and, and three A? And that's when I got to thinking about how myself and probably many of you have justifiably, understandably spent an awful lot of time bitching about the general managers on this team who, who haven't used enough premium picks on premium positions. And I thought, well, hell, if you can get, a, get that starting receiver at four, get a starting receiver at three, then address those premium positions. Edge, like I said, edge is the caveat because it's a weak edge class. So if you say, look, we would rather take a day one starting guard over some of these day one starting edge guys because, listen, these guys would be starting day one on the Jets because the Jets' edges aren't very good. I could see some of these guys getting drafted and, and not start, you know, being sort of situational players. You come out of this draft with a starting left tackle, starting corner, starting guard, and a starting receiver with another receiver or two behind that and, and, and a one or two edge projects. And I, also, I fully expect, I mean, you, we can't sit here and, and talk about extra picks and grab a guy here and there with picks you don't have, but I fully expect Joe Douglas to move that at least one time in this draft to add a couple more picks. It's, it, it's got to happen. He's got too many holes on this roster to not do that. So it's, I mean, listen, we're, it's under two weeks away now. Very exciting times for the Jets and their fans. Because we've said it before, and it's really, it's, in hearing, in hearing Paul Alexander talk about the depth at guard in this class, the, the fact that you can get a tackle early, and the depth at receiver in this class, when was the last time, I don't, there was probably, there has probably not been a time in my life as a Jets fan, well, I know there hasn't, because now they have the quarterback, but I was going to say, I can't remember a time when things fell right for the Jets in that they have a quarterback, and their biggest areas of need are two of the deepest areas in the class. They can use tackles. They can use guards. They can use receivers. Tackles not as deep, but because of where they're positioned, they can get one. Because there's so many receivers, they're going to push other quality groups down. And that's why we're going to see some quality guards fall lower than they normally would. 
The Jets need guards. And as we said, receivers. Teams are going to get starting wide receivers in round three, round four, round five, and maybe round six. Now, I know that happens, but it's going to happen more out of this year's class than probably any class we've ever seen. So prospects are exciting. Times are exciting. Draft is a couple weeks away. The world absolutely sucks right now. This virus is a friggin' disaster. I would be shocked and amazed if everyone listening to this show does not know someone who has it or who is at least showing symptoms of it. I mean, I, I know for me personally, we got a neighbor who's got it. We got a neighbor whose mother and brother have it. My sister has friends who have lost their lives to it all in a matter of weeks. It's absolutely nuts. So I hope this is a nice little distraction for you to get, uh, get your mind off of the world right now because it's an absolute nightmare. Best wishes to all of you guys. If you, if you can, stay in your damn house. I haven't been out of my house in a month other than to take the trash out and to drive up and get tested for the damn thing. So if you don't have a reason to leave your house, stay in your damn house. I understand I'm broadcasting from the UK where the restrictions are much tighter than they are in the US, but believe you me, tighter restrictions are coming um, if people don't, don't follow the ones that are in place now. So all the best to you guys. Wish everyone, you know, hope everyone gets through this thing okay. And uh, at least the draft is something to look forward to. And whether or not there will be football in 2020, maybe that'll be a topic next week. But uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed Coach Paul Alexander's takes on the the current crop of O-linemen. And until next week, have a good one, Jets fans. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets!